Yeah, okay. Matthew 24, if you want to turn there with me. We're taking a look at the theme tonight, the tribulation. And we're going to take a look at the tribulation and also uh, an introduction to Daniel's 70th week. So we're not going to deal with that in detail, but we will give an overview of the tribulation. I'm going to try to stop with enough time for questions at the end because... um, I think we could learn a lot just by each other's questions, and it'd give me a good idea of how uh, I can go ahead and, and move forward as we study eschatology. I don't think we're going to stop anytime real soon, but if you uh, go on our website, we do have sermon series on our website, and one of those, I did the artwork for eschatology, so you can find the previous uh, studies that we did, and you can listen to those there, but bring your questions Uh, Beth had some questions for me tonight on the phone as she was talking to me as she was driving in and I pulled into the parking lot and she had some real good questions. So I think that that would be helpful to us at the end. So um, Lord willing, there she is. All right, good. Lord willing, I'm going to stop with at least five minutes at the end, maybe 10 minutes. Okay, so what is the tribulation period? A couple of weeks ago... We talked about the purpose of the tribulation period in the Millennial Kingdom, if you remember that study. And um, we dealt just in uh, basic terms uh, with the theocracy and what that means. If you remember the definition, a theocracy is a form of government by which God administers His rule through a human representative. That's a theocracy. Theocracy simply means God rules, but that's not enough. It means God rules through a human representative, and that was Adam, right? And Adam blew it, and he lost the theocracy. It was usurped by the devil, and Adam lost paradise. And Jesus is called the last Adam. And the reason being is that God will rule this world as a theocracy, through a human representative, and it will be the God-man, Jesus Christ. He will, uh, he will win in the end. So no, no being, no man or angel, however clever that that man or that angel might be, cannot usurp God's authority finally and forever. God will win. So, uh, by the way, there have been a combined 155 downloads of the last two Wednesday night teachings on Sermon Audio. Most of them are, are, are just audio form. A very small percentage of people actually watch the video. So most people are listening to it. And there were 38 views on Facebook. So Facebook is not a good place to hear sermons. And it's not really a good outlet for, or a platform for a church's teaching ministry. People don't really go to Facebook to listen to preaching Uh, but they do go to Sermon Audio to do it. However, we're providing the live streaming. That way we can be a blessing to our folks that are uh, away, uh, maybe snowbirds or else they're just not able to be here. So now we talked about that theocracy. And what I said was that the unsaved will be removed from the planet before the kingdom is established. The unsaved, the God-haters, the Christ rejectors. Jesus is going to remove them from the scene. So keep that in mind as we study what we're looking at tonight. Um, he will also remove the devil from the scene. Before he sets up the millennial kingdom, 
Uh, He'll remove the devil and he will be bound in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. God will totally crush Satan's rule and those who have followed him. That's what he's going to do during the great tribulation period. So Jesus Christ as the last Adam, as I said, will reestablish God's rule and authority on this earth. So... At the close of the tribulation period, this is what God is going to accomplish. And there's also, going into the, the, the period after the, the, the second advent of Christ when He returns, and then going into the Millennial Kingdom, there's the judgment of the nations that we studied. So if you're wondering what happens to the people who are unsaved from the tribulation period... Uh, and going into the Millennial Kingdom, do unsaved, God-hating, God-rejecting people go into the Millennial Kingdom? A lot of that has to do with the judgment of the nations as well. So we're going to look at that tonight, um, and then we'll have some fun hopefully at the end with some questions. And I'll do my best to try to answer those or else uh, get back to you on those. So, Matthew 24, uh, we'll look at this tribulation period in a little bit of detail. And... Um, We'll examine it under the way that Jesus, the way he introduces this to his disciples. We'll look at that. But as far as my personal outline goes tonight, I have the duration of the tribulation period, the description, and the end. And this is modified from an outline that I got from Ryrie. Ryrie is a good dispensational Bible teacher, Charles Ryrie, and that is... uh, Credit given to him there. So, but first of all, let's look at Matthew 24 and then verse. Oh, let's start a little bit earlier. Um, let's see, verse 3 of Matthew 24. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, so this is the Olivet Discourse, Jesus dealing with this subject here. Uh, The disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and of the end of the world? Okay? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. A nation shall rise up against nation, and so on. Famines, pestilences. We're seeing these things come to pass. We're seeing that the world is moving toward the uh, fulfillment of these great prophecies in the future. Um, Verse 9, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you. Now, as I look at these next few verses, I just want to point out just the basics, just the obvious. But again, the basics are so important in Bible study. Who's talking? Who's talking? Jesus, right? Who's he talking to? Jews. Jews. He's talking to his disciples. There's not a Gentile anywhere around there. At this point in his ministry... He was still telling his disciples, do not go into the way of the Gentiles. Don't go to the Gentiles and preach the gospel of the kingdom. This is an entirely Jewish ministry. And everything that he has to say, he's saying it to the nation of Israel. Here's here's the facts. 
Jesus' three-and-a-half-year ministry was entirely Jewish. There were a couple of exceptions with the Samaritan woman, I know, and that Syrophoenician woman that got a blessing completely out of her dispensation. But the exceptions only prove the rule. His ministry was entirely Jewish. So he's telling his disciples what will become of the nation of Israel because their leaders have rejected him already. And he knows it. You know, he, that triumphal entry that we call uh, uh, the, the day that he came in and the palm branches and all that stuff, we call that the triumphal entry. They, uh, they welcomed him and then turned around and rejected him before the end of the week. You know, so... He's talking to the Jews. We just got to get that. And ye shall be hated of all nations. Now, that word nations, that's referring to the Gentiles. For my name's sake, then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another, and many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, not the church age, Jesus is describing the tribulation period. He that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. You better believe it. You'll have 144,000 Male Jewish virgins preaching the gospel of the kingdom going all over the world. And they will get the job done that we couldn't get done. Even with the internet, we couldn't get it done. They'll do it. So, when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. So, Jesus himself points his disciples and points us back to... Daniel the prophet. Jesus is basically seeing, for more information, see www.danieltheprophet.com. <laughs> go back to Daniel the prophet. Yeah, and we'll, we'll go there in just a minute. So he says, This was spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Stand in the holy place. This abomination of desolation. He's referring to the Antichrist. Standing in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. Now he's talking about Jews in Jerusalem, right there around the Temple Mount. And he's telling them, if you're, if you're there when the Antichrist desecrates the temple and stands up and declares that we're to worship him... He said, run for the mountains. So, and he says, verse 19, And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath day. Look at this. For then shall be great tribulation. Do you see it? Jesus calls it great tribulation. Now, when? He said then, right? So that's a timing word. Then... What is he talking about? When will be great tribulation, Lord? When? He said, then. Well, it'll be just what he said. When the Antichrist stands up and says, 
I know I said that you all can have this one world religion and we can all get along and you can worship any old way you want and the Jews can do their sacrifice and have their temple worship. You know, those ancient practices that they haven't been able to do for hundreds of years. But listen, scratch all of that. I'm God. You worship me or else. He stands up in the holy place and desecrates the Jewish temple. He's not supposed to be in there. When that happens, Jesus said, Then shall be great tribulation such as was not since... Now look at it. I mean, let's just, let's just believe what we're reading as it... You know, what it says as it says it. Such as was not since the beginning of the world. What about Noah's flood? Jesus said, this is something that's going to top that. That means more people will die in the tribulation period than died in Noah's flood. This is going to be an awful, awful time. So, since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be. Jesus said this will be the darkest chapter in human history. This will, now listen, there are folks who say, all of this happened 70 A.D. When Titus and his troops came in and desecrated the temple and leveled it to the ground. Sacked Jerusalem. Uh-uh, I don't think so. I don't think that that's the worst time that has ever occurred in the world. It wasn't even the worst time. I mean, it was really bad. If you ever read the history, it was terrible. Thousands and thousands of Jews died. But no, that doesn't top Noah's flood. So that that can't be fulfilled there. And there's many other descriptions of that 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 were not fulfilled then. And then he says this, And except those days should be shortened... So the tribulation period, that great tribulation, will be shortened. There should no flesh be saved. That means worldwide. If Jesus doesn't put a stop to it, everyone will die. Everyone that's living during that time. But for the elect's sake, now most commentaries, most study Bibles will say that's the 144,000. For the elect's sake... Those days shall be shortened. I don't believe it's 144,000. I think it includes them, but I think it's God's remnant of Israel, the elect, being saved. So he's, he's preserving them miraculously. He has a remnant of Jews, just like in the, wonder, uh, the wilderness wanderings, uh, God provided for them and sustained them miraculously. He's going to do the same thing again in the tribulation. Yes. And, they, and he'll take them to hide them. And, and we'll, we'll get into a study just on the Jew and the tribulation. We'll do that. But for tonight, just kind of a general overview. So did you see all of that? Jesus himself describing great tribulation. And who was he kind of zeroing in on? Who was he really targeting with his words? Jews. The nation of Israel. Yes, and the, the reason being is because the tribulation period is for the Jews. Yes, and he said, this is the great tribulation. It's spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Okay, so we're going to go back to Daniel. Take your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 9. There are a few purposes for the, the tribulation period, but primarily God is dealing with the Jews So let's go to Daniel chapter 9. If you say that God um, is sending the church through the tribulation period or that the tribulation period has anything to do with the church, I'm going to give you a real strong statement. You're teaching heresy. The church has nothing to do with the tribulation. 
Nothing to do with the tribulation. It is for the Jews. Jeremiah chapter 30, I think, verse 7. Jeremiah says it's the time of whose trouble? Time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob, his name was changed to Israel. Jacob's 12 tribes come from him. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. Okay, Daniel chapter 9, Daniel talks about this. And look, let's let's read this, and I want you to see again that the, the audience or the group that this is intended for is for the nation of Israel. Okay? We'll see that real clear. So, Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27. So, Jesus said, go back to Daniel, right? Well, let's, let's do this. Verse 24. Verse 24 of Daniel chapter 9. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins. And he gives seven things there that he lists. And to anoint the most holy at the end. You see that? Uh, that's number six. And then know therefore and understand that from the going forth of this commandment and so on is the seventh detail. But the anointing of the most holy is the anointing of, of Jesus. And uh, verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. All right, stop there for a second. There were several Persian kings who had given, these are Gentile kings, okay, that God used to help his people along, Israel. And God told these Gentile kings, Cyrus, uh, Darius, uh, Artaxerxes, there's there's two Artaxerxes, and he gave them uh, the, the word to, to give a decree, to give a command, an official you know, command to go back to their homeland. They're, they're away in Babylon, right? And he says, I'm giving you a decree to go back to Jerusalem. God told me to tell you to go back there and build him a house. So they go back to build a house. And in the first decree, Cyrus... 536, I use Usher's chronology, Archbishop Usher, those are the dates that I use. Um, 536 B.C., he tells them to go back and build a house. Okay? And then in Isaiah 44, 28, speaking of that time, he says, Jerusalem shall be built, but it's not yet, just the house. Build the temple. And then Darius in 520 B.C., he basically reminds them of the decree of Cyrus and then gets it started again and says, build the house, because they had stopped. And then you got Artaxerxes, somewhere between 458 to 456 B.C., and he says, the house, the house. The only one that says something about the city, because remember it says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy holy city, And then he says in uh, verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. The one that says something about building the city is that Artaxerxes that that gave that command 453 B.C. He says the uh, city is laying in waste. Go back and build the city. He gives a decree to do it, to build the city. Um, So, we take from that date, 453 
B.C. We take that and then we work ahead on our timing, on our timetable. So let me go from there. So that's Artaxerxes 453 B.C. So back in verse 25. So he says, from the time of this commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the, unto the Messiah. You see that in verse 25? The prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. So the starting point for this timeline, he says 70 weeks are determined upon my people, right? Okay, we need to understand the 70 weeks real quick. I don't think I need that. I think I have the easiest way of explaining that. It's 70 sevens. So if we multiply seven times one year... What is seven times one year? Seven years, right? So we're talking about weeks of years. If I have, if a week is seven, right? If I have two weeks of years, how many years do I have? I have 14, right? Okay, so he says 70 weeks are determined. So 70 times seven is how much? 490. So you got 490 years that he says that are determined. When do they start? When do they start? He says from the time of the decree. So this is the starting place for the time of the decree to rebuild the city. And that was Artaxerxes 453 BC. If you see a difference in your study Bible... It's because people have moved on to using different timelines. And there's a reason for that, and I'm not going to bore you with it. But I go with Archbishop Usher, and uh, it was just used for for years and years and years and years and years until just recently modern scholarship has moved away from that timeline. And they've also uh, moved away from the authorized version of the Bible and also move towards critical scholarship and a lot of other troublesome problems within Christian scholarship. So I stick with the oldie and the goodie. So 453 B.C., a decree is given by Artaxerxes, right? Uh, I don't know if I remember how to spell this. Let's see if I got it right. Does that look right? Okay, I think I did. Artaxerxes gives a decree And he says, from that decree, 70 years. So, what we have is we have 490 years. Hold on, I'm going to give the the details on that. Until these other things are accomplished that he says are going to be accomplished. Okay, so verse 25. To uh, Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. You see that in verse 25? Alright, now we've got to explain that. Seven weeks, three score and two weeks. Okay, how much is a score? 20, right? Three scores, 60, 62, and then you add seven to it, and then what do you get? 69. Okay? There, are, there is a reason why, the, why you have seven and 62. And I don't know that anybody has really discovered there is a reason for it, and we just haven't caught up with what that reason might be. 
We don't know why the Lord said seven and then 62, but there's got to be a reason. It's not just in there uh, for no reason. But 69 times seven is 483. Okay, so he says at the end of 69 weeks, then uh, he said it'll be that up until Messiah the Prince. Okay, and then look in verse 26. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. Okay, so seven, he, he had the number seven in there. If we multiply that by seven, that's 49. For some reason, he gives us this number of 49 years, which would bring us up to... Um, which would bring us up to 404 B.C. I don't know why. That's, that's about the time of the, the gods uh, being silent. No more revelation for the 400 years before Jesus showed up. It's a period of silence. But I don't know exactly why. But then after that, he says 62. So what's 62 times 7? Let's see. 62 times 7. I had it written down. Uh, 434? Yes, okay. 434. So you got 434 going up there. So that would bring you up to... Let me erase this so it doesn't unnecessarily confuse us. 434 years on top of that. That's 62 weeks, right? So notice that it says after 62 weeks. Can you see that? It doesn't say at 62 weeks. It says after. In verse 26, after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. So what happens after three score in two weeks. That's including the, the 49 years here and then the extra 434. What happens is, is the crucifixion. So I'm just talking about this in real simple terms because I, I could get more complicated with it and show you some, like a theory about why this is so, but I'm not going to do that, just the basics. So here, what we've done so far is we've said there's 483 years and then Messiah is cut off. From the decree of Artaxerxes to go back and rebuild the city to the time that Messiah is cut off. And do you know what happened? It happened just like that. Exactly. That's your Bible. That means when God says 483 years, well, that's what he means. Yes, they're exact. And that happened literally, right? Everybody with me? It happened literally. So we're talking about the duration. Um, now, at this point, Jesus is cut off. And what happens is God's time clock stops. Because there are, if we've gone 483 years... We still have seven years remaining, right? God's time clock stops, and there's 2,000 years of the church age. That's a mystery. And 
And Jesus in Matthew 24 is telling the Jews what's going to happen since he's been rejected. And at the end of those roughly 2,000 years, what's going to happen is God's clock is going to start again. And there's going to be seven years. Seven years of the time of the tribulation period. It'll, it'll kick back off again. And so look what Daniel says uh, when God kicks off his, his, the tribulation period and starts his clock again. So, verse 26, And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city. Then Gabriel starts telling Daniel about this prince that's going to come and destroy the city and the sanctuary. It's not the Holy One that's going to do this. This is a prince, and the end thereof shall be with a flood. That didn't happen in AD 70. There will be a flood during the tribulation. And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. We can't go into that, but that's a war in heaven. But what he's describing now is a prince who is going to destroy the city and the sanctuary. Who could that be? That's the Antichrist. Yeah. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for how long? One week. Okay, in the context, how should we interpret one week? Seven years, years, right? I'm not making anything up, am I? I mean, that's just what it says. Um, You say, do you think it really ought to be literal years? Well, Daniel just got through saying that he'd been studying Jeremiah and found out that they were only supposed to be in captivity for 70 years. And uh, you know what happened? After 70 years, they got to go back. Because that's what God does in the Bible. He makes things literal. So people like us can understand them. If you'll search them, you can understand them. And then guess what he's going to do in the middle of the week, this, this prince that we've identified as the, uh, the Antichrist. In the middle of the week, he'll break his covenant. So he's made a peace compact, this covenant, we, we've, we discover as we study the Bible, and um, he breaks his word, and he causes the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. He told the Jews, you can start your ancient practice of temple worship, and then halfway through that week, he breaks his word, and then he starts to persecute the Jews, just like Jesus said it would happen in Matthew 24. He said, when you see the abomination of desolation, run for the hills, because he's going to start to persecute you. And... Um, So that finishes out that chapter. That's the duration. It's one week of years. It's seven years. Um, The description, we don't have to look at all of these, but just briefly, it's a judgment upon a God-defying world. Okay? Revelation chapter 6, we won't look at that just yet. It's a judgment upon a God-defying world. There are three series of judgments, the seals, the trumpets, and the vials. And this, this is uh, dealing with the nation of Israel, yes, but you understand, all of the God-haters in this world are going to be judged. Um, and there will be people during this seven-year period that help out the nation of Israel, that are for Israel. And if America continues to be for Israel, there will be people in this land who help Israel. And those people will be judged as the sheep nations that helped Jesus' 
brothers, his people according to the flesh. The goat nations will be those who persecuted the Jews and fought against them and supported the Antichrist uh, and the battle of Armageddon that he cooks up against them. So there's a judgment upon the God-defying world, not just Israel, but the whole world. There is the persecution of Israel that we read about in Matthew 24. And then there's the salvation of multitudes, as we saw in Revelation 7. Let's look at that one real quick. There's a salvation of multitudes. You, you say, is anyone saved out of the tribulation period? Yeah. There's a great multitude, both of Jews and of Gentiles, saved out of the tribulation period itself. Um, so what we have here is we have God's judgment, but in wrath, God always remembers mercy. And so he wants to save a bunch of people out of this. And uh, that's why I say get saved now when it's easy to get saved, right? Uh, so there's a salvation of multitudes, Revelation 7. It just proves to you, if you have any wonder uh, as to whether or not God wants to save everybody, he does. And even in the tribulation period, uh, a world that has rejected Christ and rejected the gospel you know, during the church age, he still gives them another chance. So, Revelation chapter 7, let's see, there's a great multitude of Jews, so there's 144,000 described uh, of different tribes, tribe of Judah, verse 5, Asher, verse 6, Simeon, these are the 144,000, and they're going about preaching, and we learn that there's a remnant that will believe, and God will protect them miraculously. So just so you're getting what I'm trying to say, you cannot confuse that group, the 12 tribes, with the tribal names. Although they're different, but that's another thing for another time. Some of those names are different from what it started out with, you know, in, in uh, Exodus. And, but anyways, those 12 tribes, Jewish, right? Okay, that's easy enough for anybody to understand it. A kid in Sunday school can understand that. That's the Jews, Okay, then look at verse 9. Here's a different group. So those would be Jewish saints, 144,000, and the Jews that would go ahead and believe as well, making up the remnant. A remnant is just a small group of people that, that stay true within a greater group of people that don't. And then verse 9, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, okay, so there's a lot of them, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people, that's everybody else in the world, and tongues, stood before the throne. When did they get saved? During the church age? Well, let's keep reading. Before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne, and about the elders, and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces, and worshipped God, and sang Amen, and just praising the Lord. And then the next verse, one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these? which are arrayed in white robes. Whence came they? Where did they come from? That's what we want to know. It's a good question. Verse 14, And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation. Okay? Jesus said great tribulation. Jeremiah said the time of Jacob's trouble. Daniel said the time of uh, the 70 weeks, the 70 weeks of Daniel, which refer entirely Jewish. Entirely Jewish. 
They came out of great tribulation. They came out of the Jewish tribulation period, but they're Gentiles who were saved. And they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So if you ever wonder, does anybody get saved out of the tribulation? It's clear there. If you ever wonder, did the church go through the tribulation? Listen, if they were saved and in the church, there wouldn't be two bodies. There wouldn't be Jew and Gentile because in Christ there's neither, what? Jew nor Gentile in Christ. So this is not the body of Christ. The body of Christ is gone. Gone. We, we went up here. And then that seven year period is underway. So salvations of, of multitudes. And then lastly, the rise and the dominion of Antichrist, which we read about. But you could see it also in Second Thessalonians 2 and Revelation 13. So the rise of the Antichrist. Basically put, you know how here, this will kind of blow your mind. You know how Jesus, His ministry lasted three and a half years? If we, if we count the, the years and the days, and if we tracked it with the feasts in the Gospels, you would come to the total that Jesus' ministry was three and a half years long. So, what you have here, from the time of His baptism, you have three and a half years. Um... From the time that the, the, you know, the Spirit descended like a dove, and, and after that it says Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, went off and was tempted. This is the time when he's anointed for his ministry at his baptism. From there to his crucifixion, it's three and a half years. He had a three and a half year public ministry. Then you have this church age, which is roughly 2,000 years. And then you have the rapture of the church. That closes the church age. So everybody from Pentecost until the rapture of the church is in the body of Christ. And that's it. They're the body of Christ. Then the body of Christ is gone, taken up. Then you have the tribulation period. Well, guess what happens? You have three and a half years of peace. Antichrist is playing nice with everybody. Then he stands up. And says, no, you better worship me as God or else. Take the mark of the beast. I'm going to take your head off. And uh, then that causes great persecution for the Jews, obviously. And so they fight back and they lose. And you have three and a half years. Look at that. Of the rise and the dominion of the Antichrist. Really ruling, saying, I am God. Guess who Jesus was? He was God in the flesh. And for three and a half years, you had the Antichrist standing up saying, I am God. You know why? Because he copies everything that Jesus does. And then at the end of that, Jesus comes back and he whoops up on him. And then he sets everybody straight. And then they have the millennial kingdom. Um, Now, that's the duration, the description of it. The end of the tribulation. It ends in the gathering of the nations to battle against uh, Israel and to wipe them off the map. And that battle is called Armageddon. And Jesus Christ returns to conquer and defeats them at the Battle of Armageddon, Revelation chapter 19. And as I said, the, there will be people saved out of here. There will be Gentile saints and Jewish saints saved out of the tribulation. There will be people who will walk right on in to the millennial kingdom. Like, walk on their own two feet, right on into the millennial kingdom. Now, that is the tribulation period. 
That's an overview of it. And the purpose of it is that Jesus will put down his enemies. He'll put down the devil and crush his rule and his dominion. And he will also put down all of those who followed this world system and the Antichrist. So he removes them before he sets up his kingdom. All right, so that's the end of that. Now, I did, I stopped early. Um, I'm going to do a little victory dance almost up here. I can't believe it. I can't believe you guys actually sit and listen to me like that for 40 minutes. So thank you. I work really hard on it. I try to make it clear and stuff, but I always feel like I'm just up here like, boo, boo, boo. But anyways. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So having said all that, what are the questions that come to mind? Because we've got a few minutes. What are the questions that come to mind? There's no dumb question. Because you can hear this stuff over and over and then still feel like, I don't know if I have it straight in my mind, what's, what's going to happen, and that kind of thing. And Any questions? When God comes when he's come back to earth, and we go with him, the grave, ones in the grave are saved will go. Correct? Yes. So the ones that's not saved, they'll stay there until the complete end of the yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a real good question. So, um, let me try to give a real good answer, <laughs> real brief answer, would be a good one, right? Um, okay, so the church age, when we go up in the rapture, the ones who go up are the Christians, like church age saints. So, if you're in the body of Christ, you'll come up at this time. And then what happens to the people who are like in the Old Testament, which would be at the cross? Everything before the cross is Old Testament. What happens to Old Testament saints? When do they come up? They don't go up here. They'll go up here at the end of the kingdom. You'll have the saints of the Old Testament that will go up there. Um, Tribulation saints. Tribulation saints, at the end of the tribulation, there's a resurrection that we studied, basically a rapture. You have tribulation saints that go up there. Uh, I've seen people put Old Testament saints here. I think I've even said that before. But one thing we do know is Old Testament saints do not go up here. Because this is just for the body of Christ. Because Paul says, then we shall be changed. And when Paul's saying that, he's, he's talking about this mystery church age, the body of Christ. So the church goes up here at the rapture. Tribulation saints that die and, and faithful, die faithfully, they come up at the end of the tribulation and then they come back with the Lord to go into the millennial kingdom. At the end of the millennial kingdom, wicked dead people from all periods... Old Testament, church age, tribulation period, millennial kingdom, all of the wicked dead come up here. And I believe also the uh, millennial kingdom saints, um, the Old Testament saints come up here. But there's, it's not a bone of contention. It's nothing to argue about. But it cannot, be, it cannot be Old Testament saints here because it's a rapture for the church. We're going to the judgment seat of Christ. So does that answer that? Okay. Um, anything else? Did you wonder, have you wondered like what happens to the people in the tribulation period that were evil and 
did not believe the preaching of the 144,000 and hate God, um, some of them will live through the tribulation. Some of them will be hunkered down in their, bear, in their bunkers and hiding in the, the rocks, the Bible says, in the mountains they'll be hiding. Uh, there'll be people who, who live through this that are not saved in the tribulation sense of the word. And do you know what happens with them? That's where, right here, when Jesus sets up his throne, the, the judgment of the nations, and he said that, I'll say unto those that are on my left hand, which are the goats, that uh, depart from me, you know, you cursed. And because, and they say, uh, you know, he says, you didn't come to me and visit me in prison. You didn't give me water when I was thirsty. You didn't give me food. And they say, when did we ever see you doing that? And he says, as much as you did it unto one of these, the least of my brethren, the Jews that are suffering in tribulation period. Those nations are the goat nations that were against Israel. Isn't that something? God's going to judge them based on what they do with Israel. Why is Satan loose for a thousand years? Yeah, so, in the, now this won't make a Calvinist happy, but... I think I know the yeah, at the end of 1,000 years, you, so you have people come out of the tribulation period who walk right on into the kingdom that were part of the sheep nations, right? They're believers. They helped out the Jews, and uh, they made it through. They have kids and stuff. They endured to the end, and then they have kids. And the kids still have the sin nature. And, and at the end, the devil is released and people get to make their choice. Are they going to side with him in a rebellion? Gog and Magog. Yes. So what God is going to get is God is going to get angels who willingly choose to love him and serve him. And men and women and boys and girls who willingly choose to love him and serve him at the end. And will not usurp his authority. 